disciple me or to help pour into me other than my dad. And that was, uh, that would have been weird if my dad discipled me. So uh, I wanted to come here. And uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up here because I knew I needed to grow my faith. But uh, yeah, it was the decision in faith to come here. So now I go to school at Rockers. Been here for three years. I'm in Kaya now and all that. Jeff covered everything. But, uh, but yeah, you could turn your Bibles to Mark 15. That's where we're going to be this morning. But yeah, I've been here three years, and I've uh, been doing ministry here for three years. I've uh, been doing Bible study at Rockers for three years. I've been discipled. And uh, yeah, it's a constant thing. It's just God keeps stretching me and keeps pushing me and uh, keeps trying to put me up to new things. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's never-ending. So that, that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning, um, how to stay resolved in your faith, because it can be hard sometimes, uh, whether or not you've moved a lot, going from school to school, um, or whatever your story is. Um, everyone's got their own path that they're on. Everyone has their own obstacles that they face, and everyone has their own things that try and distract them from their faith. And uh, we're going to talk about how to be resolved in your faith. And we're going to look at Mark 15 to do that. So that's the theme of our message. Um, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we get into it. Uh, Lord, uh, yeah, God, uh, I'm thankful for your word. And uh, God, I'm thankful for a family. And uh, Lord, that just people that we can be honest around and uh, people that we know that love us and Lord that have poured life into us and uh, God whatever we need we know we can lean on them uh, because Lord we know we're just under an umbrella of your grace and uh, Lord of your love and so Lord I just pray that this morning um, your word would go forth and uh, God that we would hear from you but Lord I, I thank you and I love you and I pray this in your name Amen so we got Mark 15 sweet Alright, we're going to do some reading. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 15. But pay attention because I'll have some questions for you at the end of reading it. Alright, verse 1. In straightway in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate willing to content the people, release Barabbas unto them, and deliver Jesus when he had scorched him to be crucified. All right, so what's going on here? Um, what characters, what 
people do you guys see? You guys could shout them out. All right, we got Jesus. So he, he's quiet. He doesn't really say a word throughout the whole thing. He's just silent basically through the whole matter. All right. Pilot. Wait, pi- pilot. Pilot, yeah, pilot. So he's a politician. He's a governor. He's like the, the Trump or Biden, whatever you want to say, of this town. And uh, he's deciding what to give the people. He's basically up to their request, and he's doing what they ask. All right, we got Jesus and Pilate. We got a multitude, right? So the multitude we see is communicating with one another, and they're, they're, they're the ones wanting to crucify Jesus. Who else? We got Barabbas. So he's the other prisoner. So at this feast, there's two prisoners. We got Jesus, and then we got Barabbas. And Barabbas is another one that they're thinking to release. Is there another? King of Jews. That'd be Jesus as well. Good point. We got two There's one more. Yeah, we got the chief priests. So they're envious. They're in the crowd just speaking <laughs> lies and whispers to uh, the people. All right? So we got some, some context of the people there. So Jesus, before this event, he was arrested. And uh, now he's standing in front of Pilate being judged. And uh, he's accused of calling himself the king of the Jews, which the Jewish law saw was blasphemy. And uh, they see it as a threat to the Roman government because they're saying, this guy's calling himself the king of the Jews. He might gain followers and over our government. So he's a threat. So that's why he's up here. And uh, Pilate is the person who has the power to crucify, to kill Jesus. No, no one else really has that power. Pilate is, is the head of this town, and so... He has the say. All right, so we're caught up with some of the context of what's going on, and uh, I think now we could go ahead and dissect the passage. What we're going to do is we're going to look at each of these characters. We're going to look at Jesus and Pilate and the multitude, and we're going to see whether or not they're resolved in their faith, or resolved in general. And so uh, that, that's the direction we're heading. But first, you go to the next slide. Uh, Let's establish what resolved even means. Also, this is Pilate over here. This is Jesus. These are the chief priests over here squambling in the multitude. I thought that was pretty cool. But um, So resolved, if you search it in Google, it's just, uh, it means being firmly determined to do something. That's what a quick Google search will give you. But we'll uncover more about this definition and see it in the lives of people, or we won't see it. We'll get to learn from people. All right, so the first person we're going to look at is Jesus. Immediately, he, uh, he sets the bar for what being resolved looks like. Um, it, it's perfect. How he acts is perfectly resolved in, uh, in what he's doing. And so uh, Mark 15, 1-2 says, And straightway in the morning the chief priest held a consultation with the elders, and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus, and carried him away, and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. So those are the only words that Jesus says throughout this whole encounter, right? He's quiet the whole time. He kept his mouth shut. But why are, why are these the only words, right? So uh, you go to the next slide. So Jesus is testifying to Pilate that with his mouth, with his words, that he is king of the Jews. That's the first thing he does. He, he testifies to Pilate that he's king of the Jews. But, but why is that? Like, why, why isn't he saying anything else? Why is 
thou sayest it, the only thing he's saying. Like, could, could he not defend himself? Could he not actually prove that he's king of the Jews? Why, why is this the only words he's saying? We'll, we'll answer that in a minute. But uh, Jesus also testifies to Pilate that he is king of the Jews with his actions. Mark 15 through through 5 says, And the chief priest accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. So Jesus is now testifying to Pilate with his words by saying, Thou sayest it, only words he says, and his actions by not saying anything. How does that make sense? So Isaiah 53 7 gives us an answer. So Jesus is actually fulfilling prophecy by not saying anything throughout this whole encounter. Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You guys, if Jesus did not fulfill this prophecy, the, the whole perfect puzzle piece of the Bible that's perfectly interwoven with prophecies and uh, just things saying that will happen, if, if one of those prophecies didn't go through, the Bible would just fall apart. Like it, it wouldn't be credible. It wouldn't be a source we could go to. It would no longer be perfect and would no longer be something we could trust. So if Jesus did open his mouth, if he did defend himself, if he did speak up and show forth his, his king status, then this prophecy wouldn't have gone through and then everything would have fell through. And so Jesus fulfilling this prophecy by not opening his mouth, by being silent before Pilate, it wasn't because he was weak. It wasn't because he had nothing to say. He, he probably had plenty to say to Pilate and these people, but he was fulfilling prophecy. And so that is what testified to Pilate as him being king of the Jews. But again, um, why, why else? Why else didn't Jesus speak up or, uh, or show forth him being king of the Jews? Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says that he was being obedient to the cross. Um, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You guys, Jesus knew his role. He, uh, he knew his mission. He, he knew that he had to fulfill prophecy and that would uphold the word of God. It would uphold truth. But he also knew his mission. He knew what he was called to do. And, uh, and he stuck to it. He, uh, he became a servant. He became low and stuck to truth and, and stuck to the mission that he knew. And he did it. And so you guys, that leads us to our first key point. A resolved servant knows the call on their life and they do it. A resolved servant knows the call on their life and they do it. Now this... Um, is the perfect example of what being resolved looks like. Jesus had every right to speak up, 
He had everything to say, and he could have done several things to show forth his kingly status, but he, he said nothing. He was resolved in his faith because he was obedient to the Lord. He was obedient to the cross. 1 Peter 2, 21-25 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returning to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So guys, in review, Jesus, he was resolved in both his words and his actions. And that is what we are called to do as well, to be resolved in our faith in both our words and our actions. Alright? So, we got the, the 10 out of 10, the, the perfect score, we, we got the bar set for us of what being resolved looks like. And uh, it, it basically goes downhill from here. But um, we got Pilate up next. We're going to look at Pilate. Uh, verses 6 through 7. It says, Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Alright, so Jesus is at this feast in, in front of Pilate, and tradition at this feast is to set free one prisoner. So we got two prisoners. We got Barabbas on one hand, and we got Jesus on the other hand. We're making sense. Pilate is over here, who can now set free one of these people. And so uh, let's, for fun, just compare the track record of these two people. Let's compare Barabbas' track record to Jesus' track record. So Barabbas, it, it says... He made insurrection. Does anyone know what insurrection means? I wait. What? Yeah, yeah. There you go. I I wasn't that smart. I had to search it and look it up. But insurrection is a riot. So uh, Barabbas was a part of this riot and a part of this revolt against uh, with some crowd of people, and he was stirring up people in this riot. And that in itself is bad enough, but. He committed murder in this riot. So we, we know why Barabbas is up here, because he's a literal murderer, and uh, he stirred up people in this riot. And um, then we got Jesus, claiming to be king of the Jews. Um, he's seen as a threat to this Roman government, and uh, they see him as someone who could gain followers, overthrow the government, whatever. They, uh, they see that as a threat, and so that's why he's up here, because he said a few words that he's king of the Jews. So, you can play devil's advocate and you can see maybe why he should be up there. But, what isn't said in this passage, but in passages before, is he's unlawfully brought before Pilate. He, he's arrested without reason. Um, people come and ambush him and arrest him without reason. Uh, he's put on a Jewish trial secretly in the house of someone. It wasn't made public. Those, those trials should have been public, but he wasn't it wasn't made public, so he's put on a Jewish trial in secret. And uh, he, he's accused privately within that house. And so just a small group of people, not even the full council is there, that put him on trial. And then elevated this case up to the Roman government where he now stands before Pilate. Several things that was unlawful for him to get to the place he's at now. But we got Barabbas, 
a murderer, and then we got Jesus uh, being falsely accused and unlawfully there. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 says, And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. So who does the bad guy, who do the bad guys sound like in this, in this passage here? Chief priest, yeah. Because it says, For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. So already Pilate is noticing that Jesus might not be worthy of death. He, he's weighing, he's looking at the track record too. He's like, he's just saying he's king of the Jews. Like, that, that doesn't seem like much worthy of death. But he, he also goes further to see the track record and he sees the root issue of this problem. He sees the root issue of why Jesus is up here. He notices that the chief priests want to kill Jesus out of envy. Alright? So, uh, anyone know what envy means? We're going to look more into it. But what does envy mean? Yeah, it's like a jealousy. It's like uh, wanting to be like this other person. Wanting what they have. But let's do a quick word study on it anyway. See what the Bible says. So Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Like wrath, you could square up with. It's just cruel. Anger it's outrageous, but you could still probably take anger. Envy, though, it's undefeated. Like You, you can't stand against envy. It's, it's the Mayweather of badness, I guess. But uh, you, you can't stand before envy. It, it's like the top of the top. So uh, we see envy a lot through the Bible and a lot of examples of people in the Bible. So let's consider Joseph's brethren who sold him into slavery. It says in Acts 7-9, And the patriarchs were moved with envy and sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So out of envy, these patriarchs sold Joseph into slavery because they, they wanted something that he had. Consider the apostles' persecution. Acts 17.5 But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So envy riots, it caused commotion, it caused conflict, it caused division all because of something that somebody else wanted that they didn't have and in Jesus' case envy is what led Jesus to die on the cross the source of Jesus going to the cross was envy think, think about, I don't have a slide up here for this, but, but think about Lucifer's fall, Lucifer wanted to be like God, right? Lucifer was envious. Satan was envious of what God had. He wanted to be like the Most High. Envy turned into pride, and pride is what had Lucifer fall. Envy is the source of this. Envy, you can't stand against. can't square up with it. It's Mayweather. Alright, so uh, my second key point. Envy destroys a resolved heart. You guys... When you're, when you're jealous over, I don't know, for me, when I was in school, I was always jealous of what people were wearing. Everyone had good clothes. Everyone had the Nike Elite socks and, I don't know, Jordan. I, I actually wasn't that into Jordans, but everyone had good shoes and good clothes, and everyone had the bright neon fit that I wanted in middle school. But uh, I could never have it because I was poor. I was pretty broke. 
My dad was a pastor. You don't make much as a pastor. But um, uh, I wanted that, and uh, no one else had it. So I was jealous of it. I was envious of it. And um, other parents let their kids go out and do whatever they wanted. They, uh, they got to have sleepovers without question. They got to stay up and play video games. They got to go out with no questions asked to get ice cream or whatever. Go to the mall, walk around. Like, other kids got to do all of that. I, I didn't get to do that because my parents would ask questions. They wanted to make sure where I was at. They wanted to uh, make sure I was taken care of and that I wasn't running around with the wrong crowd. But I was envious of that. But envy, you guys, is... Uh, it, it makes you contentious. It makes you upset about what you don't have. It makes you not happy with what you do have. And so envy, you guys, is what's going to destroy a resolved heart. You can be resolved in your faith. You can be resolved into a direction that you're going. But as soon as you see something that you think is better, it's going to take you off track. It's going to destroy your resolved heart. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And you guys, the, the solution to envy is to be like Christ. It's to be resolved like Him. And to give Him glory with your words and actions. Alright, so Romans 13 talks about it. Verses 13-14 through 14 says, Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You guys, how we stay away from wanting what other people have, from, from being envious over what they got and what we don't have, where we think we're lacking, is that we put on Christ because Christ sustains all of that. It doesn't matter about the elite socks. It doesn't matter about being able to go and do whatever you want that your parents are holding you back from. It, it's about being like Christ. That is how you stay content and you stay resolved in your heart by putting on Christ. And that just looks like waking up in the morning and spending 15 minutes just reading. That means before you go to bed, praying for, for your neighbor, praying for a classmate. That looks like when you're actually in church, when your parents drag you to church, or maybe you're willing to be here. Um, you actually pay attention. Like, you take notes. You're, you're engaged in the sermon. You're engaged with the Word of God being spoken to you. Because I believe that when the Bible is open, God's speaking in some way. Like, it, it doesn't matter. You could catch one word, like envy, and learn something. You could catch one verse, and you could hold on to that for the rest of your week, for the rest of your life, and it'll take care of you. I think that by putting on Christ is by spending time in His Word, communicating with Him, and He'll communicate back. All right, let's continue in our passage. Let's keep looking at Pilate. Verse 11 says, But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye, that, what will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Y'all, Pilate is still not convinced that Jesus is worthy of death. He keeps asking them, like, Do you really want me to release Barabbas, not the king of the Jews, or whatever? Uh, he, he doesn't see the evil that Jesus has done. He, he's, not bought, he's not bought by it. 
So you guys, if it was up to Pilate, if it was just Pilate in a room with Barabbas and Jesus, Pilate probably would have released Jesus. He would not have killed Jesus. But Pilate wasn't in a room alone with them. He had a group of people, a group of influencers that he wanted to please. Y'all, Pilate had a flaw in his character that led to the death of Christ. And this flaw in his character was that he was a people pleaser. Pilate uh, was willing to content the people. And just so happens, I am a people pleaser. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I acquired this trait basically through moving around a lot. Um, not a good trait, not something you want to have. But uh, yeah, I, I was thinking about it not long ago, but every year in middle school, I was in a different school. So in sixth grade, I lived here. I went to a school in Kansas. I moved to Tampa, to one area of Tampa called Palm Harbor. Seventh grade, I was in a school there. Then we moved to a different area in Tampa. Eighth grade, I was in a different school. For my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade years, I had a new group of friends and a new group of people that I had to introduce myself to and a new group of people that I was getting acquainted with just because I moved around a lot. So for three years, I was in a different school. And so jumping from school to school and going from city and state to a different city and state, um, I realized that the quickest way to get people to like you um, was basically just to do what they're doing. And so if someone liked soccer, like you guys guessed that I like soccer. I actually do not like soccer. Soccer is like... You lied the, to us. Soccer is like the worst sport ever. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry, but like... I'm sorry, Ashton, but I don't know. Like, you're just running back and forth, back and forth, and, like, you get maybe one goal throughout the whole game. Yeah, and you can't use, like, my feet are so, like, how do you, like, your toes can't grab or anything. Like, I, I, I do not like soccer. But anyways, if I noticed that if people were playing soccer and I wanted to be friends with them, I would jump in and start playing soccer with them just so that they could like me. If people were liking video games or whatever, I would jump in and watch Twitch and uh, learn about that video game so that I could be friends with them. And, uh, yeah, so, like, at first, it's nothing. Like, it's just playing soccer. It's just watching some video games. But, like, you could, you could quickly see that uh, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble in doing this. And so as you grow older, more and more things that people are doing, you're going to realize aren't good things and so soon enough I find myself at parties I find myself drinking alcohol I find myself um, in places I shouldn't be I find myself obsessed with um, people liking me and uh, obsessed with popularity and obsessed with uh, just attention from people and uh, it got me in the wrong places and uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I got everything that I wanted, that I wanted. I wanted to be friends with those people. I wanted them to like me. I, I got what I wanted. I got everything I wanted because I figured out the game. Like, I figured out how it worked. I figured out that if they like soccer, I'll play soccer. If they like video games, I'll play video games. Whatever they're doing, I figured it out. Like, I cracked, I cracked the code. But, you guys, it, it left me miserable. Like, in my relationship with the Lord, it left me miserable. Like, I knew everything that I was doing, all those wrong situations I found myself in, I knew it was wrong. I knew that what I was doing was disobedient 
And I knew I had, I had conviction. I was swimming in it. I was swimming in conviction. Like it just leaves you miserable. But I had everything I wanted. I had the friends I wanted. I had the crew I was running with. I had the sports. I had everything. I had the popularity. Whatever I wanted, I had it. But it left me miserable. And uh, I knew I needed to accept the grace of God and get right with Him. I knew that the only way to get out of that to, to get out of that miserable feeling just all the time. Like I was happy and whatever, doing what I wanted, but it, it was so quick, it was so fleeting. Like after I had that game or whatever, after, after whatever it was, like it was so fleeting. Like, uh, and it just left me miserable after. I lay in bed at night and just thinking about just stuff. I don't know, what do you think about in life when <laughs> you're that old? But I was just thinking, I was miserable. And uh, I knew I needed to accept the grace of God and get right with Him. And you guys, a life focused on pleasing the Lord, it's much more peaceful than a life focused on pleasing others. Like, it's so stressful. Like, when you're like, I need to make sure I'm right with you. I need to make sure I'm right with you. I need to make sure that you like me. I need to make sure that everybody in this room likes me. Like, i got to be the guy that everyone likes. So whatever you're doing, I want to be doing that. Like, it's so stressful trying to be that guy, trying to be that girl, trying to do what everyone else is doing. You guys, a life focused on pleasing the Lord is way more peaceful than trying to focus on pleasing everyone else. You guys, Pilate, he was not resolved at all because he was a people pleaser. He was on the right track. He was like, this king of the Jews, he's not so bad. I don't know what y'all are talking about. I would release him. Like, I would set him free. Barabbas is clearly the murderer. He's clearly the one in the wrong. But he was a people pleaser. Pilate was a people pleaser. And that is where he failed. That was his flaw. My third key point is, a resolved servant is only concerned with pleasing the Lord. A resolved servant is only concerned with pleasing the Lord. Galatians 1.10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It would be a hard life for you guys if uh, you try pleasing everyone else. I'll tell you now, it, it sucks. It's, it's not the way to go. If you want a more peaceful life, if you want a more fulfilling and joyful and hopeful and purposeful life, y'all should focus on pleasing the Lord. Um, uh, Because, yeah, life pleasing the Lord is much more peaceful than a life trying to please others. Alright, so, was Jesus resolved? Was Pilate resolved? No. Good job, we're on board. Now let's look on the multitude. So, verse 11. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him, whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. So uh, does the multitude sound like a bunch of good guys? No, right? They don't, they don't sound like good guys here. But, but let's, let's look back just five days prior to this moment. Five days prior. Let's look at what the multitude is saying here. Matthew 21, verse 9. 
is uh, talking about when Jesus is first coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is first coming back to the Jewish people, his own people, and uh, he's arriving. And uh, let's see what the multitude is shouting and telling him here. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So, does the multitude sound like a bunch of good guys here? Yeah, like they're, they're happy. They're giving Jesus this glorious, triumphant entrance. They're laying down palm branches. They went and got a donkey for him to ride up on. Like they're, they're giving him some good hospitality. So the multitude sounds like good people here, but it doesn't make much sense. Like, like what changed? What from five days prior, just days prior to the moment when they're shouting crucify him, what, what changed? Why, why did the multitude change the cry of their heart? Well, for one, the multitude was easily impressionable, right? The chief priests, as we saw, they're envious. They, they didn't like Jesus. They did not like him returning. They were displeased. Just a few verses after Matthew 21, 9, in verse 15, it says, And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. So already we see the chief priests just upset. We see them envious, as we already talked about. And the chief priests were in the midst of this crowd. And they were, they were whispering to them. They were, they were telling them these lies. They were making them against, seem to be against Jesus. It says, But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. So the multitude was so easily impressionable. They, they didn't have their guard up. Whatever they were hearing, they were just accepting and going with. They listened to the voices of the chief priest among them in the crowd, and they allowed their opinions, their ideas, to move them. So it's clear that this multitude, they, they had one mindset in one way, saying, Hosanna in the highest. But then in another way, they had a different mindset. They were saying, crucify him. At one moment, they're for Christ. At another moment, they're against Christ. Their cry of their heart changed. Y'all, uh, does the multitude sound resolved in this moment? No, because five days earlier, they're, they're all about it. They're all about the work. They're all about Christ returning. They're, they're joyful. They're excited for Him. And another, they're not. They were not committed to, to respecting Jesus as King, as they said they were in, uh, just a few days ago. So that leads to my fourth key point. A resolved servant cannot be double-minded. You can't have one mindset one day and another mindset another day and expect to live a life fulfilling and resolved. You can't do that. You can't have two mindsets. I was, um, I was just thinking about this during worship. I don't know why I started thinking about this. But like when you're on a car ride and you really got to go to the bathroom, like you're holding it, like you're crossing your legs, you're wiggling around, you, you got to go. Like, the last thing you want people talking about is waterfalls, or rain, or drinking water. Like, the last thing you want to talk about is liquid. So everything in your mind is like, don't think about waterfalls, don't think about waterfalls. And so you start thinking about your grandma, you start thinking about road signs, you start thinking about bath. you start thinking about anything else but the fact that you have to go to the bathroom. If you have a mindset of needing to go to the bathroom and thinking about waterfalls and rain and all that, 
But then you've got this, like my, my point is, maybe this is a bad illustration, but um, my, my point is you want to have a single mindset in that moment. You don't want to be thinking about anything else because if you start thinking about it, you're going to start going down that way. So in that moment when you're on the road trying to drive, you have a mindset of, I just need to be focused on not having to go to the bathroom right now. <laughs> I, if I need to go to the bathroom, I would just think of myself. My yeah. See, you just got to think about something other than waterfalls. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, James 1.8. Let's look at the Bible, not <laughs> having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You can't trust a double-minded man. You can't trust a double-minded crowd. If you are having a double-minded mindset where in one way, I, I've always been told and thought about it like this, compartmentalizing your life. So at school, you're one way. At school, you, uh, you're the, the popular jock or whatever. You're the quiet, studious person. And at school, you're one way. Then you get to your family and you're the other way. At home, you're really sweet with your sisters. You're really sweet with your brothers, whatever it is. The opposite. You're really horrible with your brothers and sisters. But at school, you're really nice to everyone else. Like you're compartmentalizing your life. And then you get to church. And then you're all holy. And then you're all... Yes, Jesus, all that, right? You compartmentalize your life. So that, that would be double-minded because you're not the same way in everywhere you are. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You, you can't trust a double-minded man. So, so what is the, the alternative to be single-minded? So how you avoid the unstableness, how you avoid the... The, yeah, the unstableness, you've you got to be single-minded. Philippians three thirteen through 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Y'all, it's like when you're running a race. Ken, you could probably speak to this. The one thing you're thinking about when you're running a race is that finish line. You're, you're thinking about the finish line. You're not thinking about what's for dinner. You're not thinking about what my friends over here are doing. You're thinking about that race. Like, you've got to finish uh, for one reason or other. You might hate running or whatever, like me, but uh, you, you want to get done with it or you're ready to win this thing or whatever, right? That, that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about something else. That's the same way. That's what's described here, how we are to focus on our relationship and our faith with the Lord. We don't get distracted by the voices. We don't get distracted by what our friends are calling us to do. We're focused on the Lord. And we're focused on pleasing Him and Him alone. Alright, you guys. So we have Jesus. Was He resolved? Yes. Good. We got Pilate. Was He resolved? No. Why wasn't He resolved? There you go. Yeah. And uh, the multitude. Were they resolved? No. Why weren't they resolved? Again, they were envy. They were double-minded. That's right. All right. So in conclusion, let's look at this four-step plan of uh, how we live a resolved life in servanthood to the Lord. All right. So, so the first one is we got to answer the call on your life. And you guys know you have two calls on your life. The first call on your life is a call to salvation. And I bet some of us here have not answered that call. A call that is saying, Christ died for your sin. He loved you so much. He didn't say a word. He was silent the whole time because He loved you. He was obedient unto death 
He tripped over himself, literally, just so that you can have a relationship with him. That's, that's the first call. Answering that call to salvation looks like, man, I, uh, I don't even know why, but I, I know that the Lord loves me, and I know that for some reason I have sin in my life that I know is separating me from God. I, I want that taken away because I, I don't want to be separated and live a life of misery, a pointless life, trying to stress out about pleasing people, trying to stress out about just the stuff. I, I'd rather live a life for the Lord. That's the first call, an answer to call to salvation. second call in your life is a call to sanctification. This call looks like our second point, clothing yourself by putting on the Lord Jesus. It's a call to sanctification. That's a daily work. We're sanctified. We're made, we're set apart from the world. We're set apart from the stresses and the people-pleasing and the double-mindedness. We're set apart from that by putting on the Lord Jesus, by reading our Bible, by paying attention in church, by, by when people are talking about the Bible, by when people are talking about the things uh, of spiritual things, we're, we're, we're dialed into it. We're, we're ready to put on Christ. We're ready to become more like Him. That's the second thing. Third, uh, we, we ought to focus on pleasing God, not others. Because we saw that where that ended up. It's stressful. It's, uh, it's not easy to do. And fourthly, we have to be single-minded. We can't be double-minded in our thoughts. We can't be this way in one area, this way in another area. Man, you've got to pick how you're going to live your life. You've got to do that. And I'll tell you, the most, the most peaceful and most accomplishing way to live your life is by living a life for the Lord. And so, you guys, that is how you live a resolved life, uh, just through the view of this passage. And um, if you guys have something to deal with, I know you don't know me, but you can come grab me and talk to me about stuff. But I'll, I'd be glad to tell you about more stories about me in high school or about stories of me and Jeff and how he caught toads and frogs and went skimboarding and driveways and all that stuff. But... uh yeah, I'd love to talk to you guys. And I know that Jeff and Kylie and, and Jake and just anybody in here, they'd love to talk to you about what you're dealing with. Because it's worth being right with God. You, you can continue in your misery and continue just living a life apart from Him, but it's going to get you nowhere. It's, it's better to get right with Him. But yeah, that, that's all I had, guys. Thank you.